0: You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I am your host, Dennis Tubergen. Welcome to today's program. Wow, with everything going on in the world today, uh, it seems almost a bit trivial to be talking about things financial, but that's what we do here on the program. So today I want to give you some information. Uh, Whenever you see what's going on in the financial markets as a result of the uh, coronavirus pandemic, uh, it's always important to get as much information as you can and process that information rationally rather than making an emotional decision. Now, if you've been a longtime listener to the program, you know that here we like to take a look at where financial markets may head based on current economic conditions. And in order to make these forecasts, we take a look at what's happened historically when economic conditions look like they do today and extrapolate this situation, the current situation, to that uh, situation that may have occurred historically. Now, my book, uh, New Retirement Rules, that was first published in 2016 forecast the economic and financial events that are currently occurring. Now, obviously, the current coronavirus pandemic was impossible to predict. However, the market's decline as a result of monetary policies was completely predictable because money printing causes bubbles. And that's been our monetary policy for a long time. And that monetary policy has actually intensified since the financial crisis. So the current pandemic, in my view, is the pin that popped the bubble. Now, as recently as December, and you can go back and listen to all the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio programs. Uh, They're listed and posted, rather, I should say, at retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. And if you go back and listen to uh, the December programs, the January programs, you know that I have been forecasting a stock decline for quite some time. Now, certainly, the catalyst for that decline is impossible to predict, but market valuations have been there for all to see. I have also forecast, uh, as recently as last week, that the Fed would cut interest rates to zero and engage in more quantitative easing, in fact, probably even helicopter money. All of those things have come to pass. We now have 0% interest. Uh, There is now not only more quantitative easing going on, there is talk of helicopter money. Uh, Many will be getting a check from the government. And it's important to point out, and I'm not suggesting that checks from the government are a bad thing, but I am suggesting that the government doesn't have any money. Where is all this money going to come from? It's going to come from more quantitative easing or money creation, which has led to this problem and will lead ultimately to a bigger problem, financially speaking. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that emergency actions are unnecessary or shouldn't be taken. I'm looking purely at the financial aspects of this policy. Now, I don't take any satisfaction in being right. However... When you take a look at, as I said, valuations, they've been there for all to see. Stock valuations prior to this decline, just a month ago, just a month ago, the Dow was pushing 30,000. Now it's hanging at about 20,000 as I'm recording this program on Friday, March 20. Now, that's a third drop in the valuation of stocks, and yet, at these valuations, I believe stocks are still overvalued and market volatility remains extremely high. And from my experience, volatility of this magnitude signals more rough days lie ahead for stocks. Now, markets typically never go straight up or straight down for a really long period of time. Uh, What we just experienced was one of the most extreme on record. And by the way, for those of you that would like to get some more information, uh, we are conducting a webinar talking about strategies that you might consider in the current environment to help you achieve your dreams of what might be a comfortable, stress-free retirement. Uh, The webinar will be held on Thursday, April 9. It will be held at 6.30 p.m. It will conclude at 7.30 p.m., At 7.30, there will be opportunities to ask questions. Uh, Attendance on the webinar is free. There will be no presentation for financial products. The webinar is informational only. Uh, We're just going to give you some information and strategies to consider. If you'd like to register for the webinar, go to rescueyourretirementwebinar.com, rescueyourretirementwebinar.com, and you can sign up to attend the webinar And uh, we will take reservations for the webinar on a first-come, first-served basis. Due to technology limitations, webinar attendance will have to be limited. So again, the website, if you would like to attend the webinar on Thursday, April 9 at 6.30, is rescueyourretirementwebinar.com. And on the webinar, we'll be talking about the one thing that everybody should be doing now to evaluate where they stand. And discovering and implementing this one strategy that we'll talk about on the webinar could be the difference between, you know, having a good retirement and maybe not having a good retirement. So again, I would encourage you, uh, while capacity remains, go register for the webinar, rescueyourretirementwebinar.com. Again, uh, you can attend that webinar from the comfort of your home. You just need to be in front of your computer. So taking a look at market action. Uh, markets tended to settle down a little bit this last week. Uh, but the prior week, there's only one word to describe the, the behavior of stocks, the performance of stocks, and that word is dreadful. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell about 10%. The S&P 500 fell about 9%. Again, the Dow's off about a third from its peak. Um, U.S. Treasuries fell as well. Um, yield on the 30-year bond rebounded to 1.5% after remarkably falling below 1% on March 9. Now, Bloomberg ran an interesting article, and the article talked about all the market volatility that we have been seeing and experiencing. And I want to give you just a little bit from that article. Price swings in the U.S. equity market this week were more extreme than they've been since Herbert Hoover was president. Again, referring to the week before last. The S&P 500 index moved at least 4% in each of the five days, falling three times and rising twice. Think about that. 4% movement in each of the five days of the week. The last stretch of moves of that magnitude occurred in 1929. Now, if you go back and take a look at 1929, which is obviously a scary comparison, there's a couple things to keep in mind. Stock valuations today, when measured by price-earnings ratio at the peak, were higher than they were in 1929. The other thing you have to remember is that the government response in 1929 was funded to a much greater extent. If you look at government debt to economic output, government debt to gross domestic product in 1929 it was about 20%. Today it is well over 100%. To put it bluntly, in 1929 the government wasn't broke. Now back to the Bloomberg article, investors were whipsawed this week amid growing angst over the coronavirus and an oil price war that sent crude crude prices plunging. The benchmark index jumped 9.3% on Friday after President Donald Trump declared a national emergency to combat the virus. That followed a 9.5% drop the previous day when his travel ban and tepid fiscal measures disappointed traders. The last time a 9% rout gave was in 1931 at the height of the Great Depression. So if you're invested in stocks... What should you be doing now? Well, that's the topic of our webinar that will be held on April 9 at 6.30 p.m. Again, if you're just joining us, the website to register for that webinar is rescueyourretirementwebinar.com. Rescueyourretirementwebinar.com. But my advice simply hasn't changed. You need to be using the two-bucket approach for managing your nest egg. One bucket of assets contains investments that are insulated from market fluctuations. It's this bucket from which you'll pull any income that you might need. The second bucket contains assets that you may not need for income. Some of these assets could be in stocks or stock derivatives, but I'd suggest strong hedging as I have for quite a period of time now in this environment of extreme volatility. Now, as I mentioned earlier in this segment, markets typically don't go straight up or straight down, and it would not be surprising to see more ultimate downside for stocks. In fact, I fully expect it. I have long predicted for several years as a result of this monetary policy that we will see the Dow to gold ratio return to a ratio of about two, meaning the Dow will be worth about twice what gold is per ounce. So if gold goes to 3,000, the Dow goes to 6,000. I know that sounds extreme, but history certainly backs that up. Now, as the Fed has cut interest rates and as the Fed is going to be, obviously, printing more money to fund all this, we do have another risk. We have a risk of inflation. And that's what this second bucket is really here to help you protect against. Now in the next segment, um, I'm going to be interviewing uh, Mr. John Rubino. Uh, John is a particularly timely guest. You're gonna wanna stay tuned for my conversation with him. Uh, John is the manager of the website dollarcollapse.com and he is a prolific author. uh, And he wrote a book uh, many, many years ago that really is almost like a prophecy today. It's called The Money Bubble. And a lot of what he forecast in his book and what I forecast in my book in 2016 is now coming to pass. So we're going to get John's take on what you should be thinking about doing as well. That will be in the next segment. And a quick reminder that uh, we do update you on what's going on financially in our weekly newsletter called Portfolio Watch. You can subscribe to Portfolio Watch for free. It's delivered by email each week. And you can do that by visiting the website, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. That website again is retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. Be sure to stay with me. I'll be back right after these words with Mr. John Rabino.
1: You are listening to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Toubergen. Joining me on today's program is returning guest, Mr. John Rabino. Uh, I looked at my notes, and John was actually on the program about six months ago in September of 2019. And uh, if you're a Long-time listener, you remember John. If you're a new listener, John actually manages the website dollarcollapse.com. The website, again, is dollarcollapse.com. John is also a prolific author, having written uh, many books on the topic of currency in the past. And, uh, John, welcome back to the program.
2: Thanks, Dennis. Interesting time to be back, huh? It's
1: it's so interesting, and that's uh, an understatement. So, I don't know exactly where to start, so let's start with what's going on in the markets. Um, we seem to have a uh, an all-out collapse going on, um, not something, I guess, that was unexpected based on our last conversation. but how do you read this?
2: Well, um, this coronavirus pandemic came out of nowhere. <clears throat> and, um, you know, we had created the conditions in which a, a pandemic was one of those things that was um, a, a when not if kind of thing, like you know, like the big California earthquake and the uh, the Cat Five hurricane that sooner or later has to hit Miami. This was going to be one of those things that uh, you you know was completely unpredictable in terms of timing, but was almost guaranteed in terms of substance because we created the conditions for something like that to happen. So you know, it happens <laughs> out of the blue, um, and it, it creates a huge problem for the global financial system for a couple of reasons. One is the, the we let the global financial system get incredibly over-indebted and therefore incredibly fragile. Pretty much anything could have knocked us into a, a bear market in equities and a recession, which could easily turn into a depression. That's how over-leveraged we are and how fragile we are. Uh, but this is, is a very different deal, the pandemic is, than a, your garden variety financial crisis because – uh, it creates basically two problems with mutually exclusive solutions. For instance, if we try to uh, address the pandemic, and you do that by basically quarantining everybody, right? You just tell everybody to stay home. No restaurants, no cruise ships, no plane flights, no political rallies, nothing. You just stay home for a month and then allow the, um, the, the infection to fade. And that's how you address a pandemic. But if you do that, you blow up the economy. And we, we also have, because of the pandemic, a, um, a recession that could turn into a depression, you know, potentially really serious financial thing. there. So if we quarantine everybody, we guarantee ourselves a depression. However, if we fight the recession the way you normally fight them with super easy money and tax cuts and bailouts for everybody in sight to get people back out into restaurants and plane flights... And cruise vacations and stuff like that. Um, you you can avoid having the recession become something, you know, systemically dangerous, but at the cost of turbocharging the, um, the pandemic. <laughs> so it's not clear how we fix these two problems simultaneously, you know. Um, they're definitely going for the easy money thing, though. The, the um, Federal Reserve, there's a headline in today's New York Times about how the uh, the Fed has used up all its Great Recession monetary tools in one weekend. You know, we announced a big new quantitative easing program where they're buying bonds in the open market to, to send cash out into the banking system, and uh, lower interest rates were down to zero on the Fed funds rate, which is as low as we've ever been before. So, and and long-term interest rates in the U.S. are, are pretty close to their all-time lows. So, we've already used up the whole quantitative easing and lower interest rate tool and we got nothing for it. Stocks are tanking today. So they're gonna to have to come back bigger with, you know, some kind of shock and awe thing in the not too distant future.
1: So uh, we're, we're recording this, uh, actually, for the benefit of our listeners, about six days before the program airs. So uh, normally that's not a big lead time, but, you know, in times like these, a lot can happen. So, John, when, when, you, when, you, when you just look at the magnitude of the activities in which the Fed is engaging, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think back when quantitative easing started the first time after the financial pr- crisis, uh, the Fed was, you know, printing literally $85 billion a month to buy mortgage-backed securities and government-backed securities, and uh, I think this past week on Thursday, there was a commitment for $1.5 trillion. and when you think about how much more money creation that is, it's hard to imagine. So, how much more money can the Fed print or create, whatever term you want to use, before we start to threaten the integrity of the U.S. dollar?
2: Well, see, that's the question. Nobody knows because we've never tried this before. So we're, we're totally flying blind, flying blind here. We don't know whether the, uh, the limit to how much new currency you can create before you cause a, a crisis in the value of the dollar is $1 more than they've already created or $10 trillion more. Um, and... Because of that, it's impossible to make any kind of prediction that involves a time element. You know, you can say, okay, this, this guarantees that the dollar will evaporate someday. You know, that that I, I'm happy to say with certainty. But whether it's this year or five years from now, it's no way to know. And uh, I, I will say, though, that when we do these big things like we're doing right now and and like the even bigger things that we're going to have to do because what we're doing now isn't working um, – it brings us closer to the point where the the story changes from the growth in the economy to the declining value of the currency. And once that happens, it's very hard to put that genie back in the bottle because once people lose faith in a currency, they don't want to hold it anymore. So they'll just get paid and they'll convert their paycheck into real stuff as fast as possible because they don't trust the value of the currency. They don't want to hold it uh, in a bank account or under the mattress or anything. So when that point hits, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, and there's very little a, a central bank can do to stop uh, an accelerating decline in the currency, other than raising interest rates. You know, we, we had a, a problem like this back in the 1970s, and you know, most of your listeners are, are, I'm sure, too young to remember those days, but we had a currency crisis. The dollar started to go down in value, and the Federal Reserve ended up having to raise interest rates to between 16% and 20%, depending on where you are on the, uh, the yield curve. So can you imagine doing something like that today with all the adjustable rate mortgages that are out there and credit cards and and prime plus two business loans and everything? You know, All this adjustable rate debt that exists in the world would completely blow up the financial system if that debt all of a sudden went up to – um 18 you know that's like when you um miss some payments on your credit card and your teaser rate your teaser zero rate goes to 24 you know it it can bankrupt you if you're not careful well this would bankrupt the whole world so that's all we would have left to do if we allow this thing to get out of hand by creating too much currency and starting to uh, impact the value of the dollar so we're, we're Heading in that direction, and that to me is the really scary thing. like this other stuff we can deal with, but once the uh, the, the world's big currencies start to collapse, then you've got a, a completely different kind of financial crisis and one without a really easy solution.
1: and John, you know in the in the books that you've written in the past and co-authored in the past you've you've written about this phenomenon that you know at a, at a certain point this this happens historically and um, I'm just curious and I know some of our listeners are as well. When you start going down the slippery slope of, of money printing, uh, it always takes more to get really a, a, a less impressive result. Um, and, and can you think of any time, historically speaking, from your research that, you know, we've gotten this far down the proverbial slippery slope and that we've, you know, recovered and gone the other way?
2: Well, first of all, we've never done anything like this before. This is, this is completely uncharted territory in terms of how much debt the world has taken on. And the extremes of monetary policy they're having to uh, to resort to to try to deal with it. This is all un- uncharted territory, on a global scale. But individual countries have screwed up their currency many times in the past. You know, if you Google list of hyperinflations, you get a whole page of, of country names, and then huge numbers for the um, the inflation rate. You know, how how dramatically they. Um, Inflated away their currencies, um, so it's happened a lot of times in the past in individual countries, and in pretty much every case, once it gets going, it can't be fixed. You just end up having the currency collapse in value, and then replacing it with something else. Um, the Weimar Germany is the the big example that uh, that people remember most because it was the most dramatic. You know, all those those photographs of of people bringing wheelbarrows full of cash to the grocery store or dumping wheelbarrows into the furnace, you know, to heat the house because it's cheaper to, to use your currency to, to um, heat the house than it is to actually buy coal or something like that for your furnace. You know, it's, it's crazy. And um, it has also happened a bunch of times in, in human history. So what we're doing now that's different is that we're doing it globally. Instead of one country screwing up their finances and then having a currency collapse, in the context of a sound money world, where everybody else is on a gold standard, um, everybody's on a fiat currency standard this time around. In other words, every country's central bank has the ability to create as much new currency as it wants to, with no reference to anything the currency is based on. It's just play money. And so human nature being what it is, Everybody is abusing that privilege, just as if you gave your kid an unlimited credit card, um, and, and came back two years later, you know what you would find, right? Well, the, the world has evolved into something like that, um, and because it's global, it's been able to go on a lot longer than it than, than previous currency crises could. You know, this this has gone on for decades, whereas. Usually, it's just a few years when a country really screws up its finances and its currency blows up. Um, that has allowed us to take on way more debt than we would have been able to in a normal world, which means the crisis, when it comes, will be that much bigger because there's so much more bad debt now that has to be dealt with. Um, and you know, and here we are. There's really no way out of it because you can't raise interest rates. We found that out in 2018 when the U.S. stock market almost collapsed because interest rates had just gone up a couple percentage points. So we can never do that again. and um, We have no choice but to keep on flooding the system with new money until it blows up. So it's just a question of timing. We don't know when it will be, but we know it's coming.
1: Well, our guest today is Mr. John Rabino. He manages the website dollarcollapse.com. I would encourage you to check it out. Uh, a lot of good resources on that site. I will continue my conversation with John when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tuberg, and you're listening to Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio. I have the pleasure today of chatting once again with returning guest, Mr. John Rabino. Uh, John joined us on the program in September. And uh, if you're just joining us, John manages the website, dollarcollapse.com. The website, again, is dollarcollapse.com. And, uh, John, in light of the fact that uh, here we're recording this, uh, you know, on the 16th of March, And less than a month ago, the Dow was approaching 30,000. Now it's at about 21,000. So let's just say it's down almost a third. I had somebody ask me if, uh, you know, this resembles 1929. And in some cases it does because we have very high private sector debt levels. But in 1929, we did have currencies that were tied to the gold standard and the U.S. government wasn't broke. So isn't this in a lot of ways a lot worse than what happened in 1929?
2: Much worse, yeah. Although, you know, 1929 is not a bad proxy in a lot of ways because the the Roaring Twenties preceded it in which we took on a huge amount of new debt. So we had a a financial asset inflation where stocks and bonds went through the roof and real estate um, all debt driven, which is very similar to today. So that crash um, is something that could easily happen today and maybe is in the process of happening. Another few days, like the last few, and and we'll be talking, you know, percentage decline similar to the 1920s. Um, So, yeah, you know, we we could be heading into something like that again. Um, And if you look at a chart of total debt to GDP, for instance, in the U.S., in other words, how much we owe versus how big the economy is, it it goes way up in, in the 1920s and then collapses in the 1930s and then begins a long, slow incline to get to where we are now, which is much, much higher debt um, to GDP. In other words, the, the what we owe compared to the size of the economy is much higher than it was back in the 1920s. So by that measure, we're in much worse shape than we were back then. And as you said, the difference was countries were on the gold standard back then, which kind of limited what they could do. You know, they, they couldn't really inflate their way out of a crisis as easily when they were – on a, a monetary system where the amount of currency in the system is determined by the amount of gold in your reserves, you know, to make a bigger money supply, you have to go out and get more gold from somewhere. It's way more complicated. Um, these guys today, the central banks today, have unlimited printing presses. They literally, this is not an exaggeration, can have a, a clerk type in $1 trillion and then hit send and have a trillion dollars created out of thin air, end up on J.P. Morgan Chase's balance sheet or some other place, you know. That's how easy it is for them to create new currency. Um, so because they can do it, they will, which means this is going to progress differently than the Great Depression did. And uh, it might even become, you know, a Weimar Germany hyperinflation. It might become something that's the opposite of the Great Depression, but it'll be a horrendous crisis regardless
1: so john when 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 you look at this um, and, and when you were talking and, and I mentioned hyperinflation i I'm reminded of the quote by Thomas Jefferson, who said that if the American people ever allow private bankers control the issue to control the issue of their currency first by inflation, then by deflation, uh, you know the banks and corporations that will grow up around them will deprive their children of the very continent their fathers conquered. Uh, it just strikes me that we're going to have to go one way or the other, right? I mean, the money printing, the money creation stops and we see deflation across the board, which we're seeing now in stocks, or we go the other way, and we have a, a hyperinflation, and, and and both outcomes are bad. So, one, do you agree with that? And two, how do you see it playing out?
2: I definitely agree they're both bad. <laughs> they're really <laughs> destructive. For anybody who trusted the government, <clears> you know, they, they just get wiped out by big crises like this. Um, and, and you're right, we're having – a deflationary event right now. In other words, the price of financial assets, at least stocks, are plunging. And a lot of companies are going to go bankrupt because people are are basically quarantined in their homes right now, and they're not out in restaurants or taking vacations, Um, which means a lot of companies are going to go bankrupt, which is very deflationary, because that means they don't pay their debts. So the, the debt that we talked about before building up will be wiped out, through default, where people just say, hey, I can't pay you. Sorry about that. And then you can't pay your debtors, you know, your creditors, and, and so on, as the system just descends into a deflationary abyss. Um, but the governments of the world and the central banks of the world don't want that to happen, obviously, because they be- then become the Herbert Hoover of their generation, You know, the guy that uh, gets blamed for the Great, Great Depression. Um, so what they're going to do is create as much new money as they feel like they have to. To stop it from happening and to re-energize the economy um, and that's the big battle going on right now you have this massive de- massively deflationary market event that the government is trying to offset with massively inflationary monetary policy uh, and again we've never been here before you know this is this is completely uncharted territory So there's no way to to say with any kind of certainty, oh, well, this is how it'll play out then when these guys do this and this. Uh, We just can't know. So we still are at a a crossroads. One road leads to a deflationary crash, sort of like the, the 1930s, Great Depression. The other leads to some kind of a currency event like... Maybe Weimar Germany or maybe just a big monetary reset where we have to just devalue the dollar on some weekend and go back on the gold standard or whatever. But that fork in the road leads to that monetary crisis of some sort. And we don't know which way we're going to go because um, we're trying for the inflation monetary reset branch, but we may not be able to get it. We might be forced onto the other branch of the road by market forces. Uh, and it just remains to be seen, and that's so tricky for somebody trying to set up their finances, right, to protect themselves from stuff like this, because it's really uh, two very different investment theses that we're looking at when we look down these different forks in the road. Um, and the the inflationary thesis is buy gold, you know, buy some well chosen real estate, buy things that tend to go way up when the currency is going down in value. Um, the other branch in the road is, you know, high-grade government bonds because those things will will rise in value and continue to pay you back and give you your money back at the end of the process, even in a depression, because governments can make enough money to pay for their bonds. Um, and otherwise, you know, cash, really short-term kinds of bond funds, things like that. You just want to protect yourself from a debt collapse. And so, two very different. Um, investment strategies and it's hard to know which one you should pursue when you don't know which crisis is going to come. Now I wish I could give you some certainty about uh, you know which is going to come which would make it way easier to design an investment management policy but but right now we just can't know yet
1: yeah and you know I think john uh, we we tell people that you know you ought to consider doing both you want to have a a bucket of assets that will they'll do well in a deflationary environment, you need another bucket of assets that'll do well in an inflationary environment because none of us have a crystal ball, but it certainly seems like the the deflationary side is winning out at least short term because after the Fed dropped interest rates to zero and committed to another round of quantitative easing, which I think we can actually call quantitative easing this time, uh, the market still uh, dropped about 10%. So um, you know, it, it appears anyway short term that the deflationary side uh, may win out. Uh, what's your take?
2: Well, I think a pandemic is, Incredibly deflationary, you know, just shuts the economy down. So yeah, I'm, you know, just left to market forces. In other words, if the government just stepped back and and just let the free markets play out from here, massively deflationary crash is what we would get. Uh, But they're not. So we've got these other things involved here, where, uh, you know, if they want to flood the system with ten trillion dollars this afternoon, they can do that. So. Yeah, we definitely are in a deflationary episode right now, but I worry – well, I don't worry, I just um, wonder if um, if central banks are determined to stop a deflation from happening and have an unlimited printing press, um, whether they won't succeed at it and generate a bunch of inflation going forward. I I just don't know. And, yeah, you know, that's – and as you said – diversifying is the way you deal with uncertainty because that's actually the, um, not, not usually this extreme, but there's always uncertainty about the future, right? In, in every aspect of life, certainly in finance, you can't know if the stock market goes up from here or down from here in normal times or, you know, what interest rates are going to do or whatever. So, so you place bets on different things and, um, hope that most of them work out in a way that offsets the ones that don't work out. And that's, that is, really the smartest way you can manage money in a time of uncertainty. So yeah, that, you're doing the right thing for your clients.
1: So John, uh, well, one one thing I, I think that uh, I, I just read a news story, in fact, before we uh, started to record this interview, that uh, uh, Mr. Kudlow came out and uh, floated the helicopter money trial balloon, and it's still not a lot of reaction. Do you, do you think we see that you know, instead of the, the, the Fed printing money and, and buying bonds with it, that we actually see some of this newly created money end up in the bank accounts of ordinary Americans? I mean, is that a policy response that's possible in your view?
2: Oh, yeah, I think it's unavoidable. Um, because, well, several reasons. One is because just buying up bonds doesn't seem to cut it for something this serious. Because interest rates are already pretty close to zero, so you know what do you gain by pushing rates down to negative 0.5 percent? Um, and because of that, they have to try some new things. One of which is going to be to bail out everybody in sight, and that's kind of helicopter money. Like, let's say United Airlines uh, becomes insolvent and starts to fail, the government steps in with um, half a trillion dollars printed and given to a company. That's kind of like helicopter money you know it's not falling from the sky but it's being transferred into the account of a private sector player um and there's another thing that that actually got a lot of traction in the democrat presidential primaries here something called um let's see what's well, ubi so it's something about basic income where the government just names a number and gives everybody that amount money per amount of money per month.
1: Say. Yeah, Universal Basic and, Income by Andrew Yang. Universal
2: yeah. Yes, that's right. And, uh, and, and that's something that this is going to have a lot of appeal. Because remember, Donald Trump doesn't have an ideological agenda. And so he has no problem with doing things that might have been considered um, a, a policy of the Democrat Party, you know, because if, if he wants to get something done, he just wants to print the money to do it. So it, it could, it's easy to see where Congress and the president, in the face of a deflationary crisis, does something like that, where they just say, OK, from now on, every adult American has $1,000 a month income going forward and see what that does. You know, <laughs> And, and um, I don't know what $1,000 a month would do necessarily, but there is a number that would ignite an inflationary boom because people would spend at least a lot of what what they get every month if the government's just going to give it to them. Um, so you would generate a ton of spending that way. And that would rev up the economy somehow, way. Most of it would be probably online commerce, right? You'd be buying stuff from Amazon rather than at the local Costco or whatever. But uh, still, somebody would be making a lot of money from you spending your money that you get from the government. And that would pull the economy out of a... Uh, a deflationary crisis, however, at the cost of um, raging inflation probably, right? Because for the number to be huge and big enough to pull you out of a deflationary crash, it's got to be the kind of thing that could potentially send you into an inflationary spiral. And and again, nobody knows what these numbers need to be because nobody's been here before. This is completely uncharted territory. So they're they're flying blind, but they don't want to lose. You know, they don't want to fall into that deflationary abyss that leads to a 1930s-style depression. So they're going to err on the side of bigger and better and worry about the inflationary side of things later. You know, they need to avoid deflation at all costs. And I, I think we'll get there at some point. You know, we will be at that point sometime possibly in the not-too-distant future if the, the coronavirus continues to progress the way it has been. Um and the governments will feel like they have no, point or no choice but to just start giving money away one way or another. So they'll bail out everybody in sight. They'll start sending checks to people. They'll eliminate income taxes. And all of that kind of sort of qualifies as helicopter money, where they're just making money and giving it to people. Um, and I, I think it's inevitable.
1: Well, the clock tells me that we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, our guest today is Mr. Ben, Mr. John Rubino. The website is dollarcollapse.com. I would do encourage you to check it out. I have it bookmarked. I would advise you to do the same. John, love to have you back down the road. Uh, interesting times in which we live.
2: They are indeed. Thanks, Dennis. Talk yeah. to you soon.
1: We will be back after these words.
2: Welcome back
0: to RLA Radio. I am Dennis Tubergen, your host. Glad you decided to tune in today, and uh, thanks again to Mr. John Rabino for joining us on today's program as well. If you're not yet a subscriber to the Portfolio Watch newsletter, I would encourage you to go to RetirementLifestyleAdvocates.com and become a subscriber. It is free and it's delivered to you via email every Monday at 5 o'clock p.m. In the Portfolio Watch newsletter, we talk about what's going on in the economy, what's going on in the markets, and how you might be affected. Now, last week in the Portfolio Watch newsletter, this is what I wrote. As I have been suggesting would be the case, the Fed responded by cutting interest rates by a half percentage point a little more than a week ago, and then printing money last week. I now forecast a rate cut to zero within the next week or two, and then more money printing, also known as quantitative easing. That is exactly what happened. See, there is no other policy response. This has been the policy response since the financial crisis. And the Fed has been printing at an ever-increasing rate since September. Now, September is when the Fed started supporting, or should I say propping up, the repo market. Now, if you're a new listener, the repo market is the overnight lending market between banks. So since September, the Fed has been printing money and acting as a lender of last resort to some banks. As I reported at the time, this was a red flag and likely... A harbinger of trouble to come. Well now, it seems that trouble has arrived in earnest. Now the coronavirus is certainly a factor. In fact, I view the coronavirus as the pin that popped the bubble. But keep this in mind, market crashes don't occur unless conditions are ripe for a correction. This correction has been catalyzed by the coronavirus, but as I have been commenting here on the program, stock valuations have been stretched to levels that were even greater than prior to the great crash that occurred in 1929. Now, the Federal Reserve, a little more than a week ago, decided to inject $500 billion into the Treasury market. That was reported by the Street. A few hours later, they announced that they would be injecting $1.5 trillion into the markets. Now, think about the magnitude of those numbers. Forbes talked about this. Forbes said, as stocks headed for their worst day since 1987's Black Monday crash, the Federal Reserve announced further measures to prop up liquidity. Including a potential injection of more than $1.5 trillion into the market. Stocks responded immediately, cutting losses in half on the announcement before dropping back down 8%. The Fed, and this is according to the Forbes article, said they would be ramping up the purchases of repos or repurchase agreements by $1.5 trillion over the next couple of days. The New York Fed said this, and I'm quoting, these changes are being made to address highly unusual disruptions in Treasury financing markets associated with the coronavirus outbreak. Now, if you look at the words used in that statement, highly unusual disruptions, what exactly does that mean as it describes this market? Well, think about this. When stocks are declining hard, one would expect to see investors who are concerned about preserving assets flock from stocks to bonds. That demand for bonds would have bond prices rise and yields decline. That's what happened back on March 9 when the yield on the 30-year U.S. Treasury fell to under 1%. Then, within just a few days, the Fed had to inject $1.5 trillion into the repo market where a lot of bond buying and selling takes place. What happened? perhaps no buyers. We're going to talk about this more on a free webinar that we're doing uh, to provide you with some information in light of current market conditions. That webinar will be held on Thursday, April 9, from 6:30 until 7:30. You can attend the webinar from the comfort and safety of your home. Just make sure you're in front of the computer. There will be opportunities for questions after the webinar. And on the webinar, uh, we'll be giving you the one thing you should be doing now to determine whether or not or how your retirement may be affected by market events. To register for the webinar, visit RescueYourRetirementWebinar.com. RescueYourRetirementWebinar.com. And uh, certainly go soon if you want to register because we expect that we'll have a lot of folks on the webinar And we do have technology limitations that will require us or force us to limit webinar attendance. So again, uh, webinar on April 9 from 6.30 to 7.30, talking about how current market events might affect your retirement. Uh, It is free. There will be no presentation for financial products. It is informational only. Uh, The website to register is rescueyourretirementwebinar.com. That's all the time I have for this week. I'll be back again next week. Stay safe.